This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. All right, uh, we finished Romans 6 last time, but I'm not done with Romans 6. So I want to back up for a minute and we'll get a running shot at uh, Romans 7. I'm going to pick it up at uh, verse 15 in Romans 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? All right, so he's going to go through three of these things. And it's going to be a progressive series. And I wanted to pick that up because I didn't point it out last time. And it makes a difference how you read chapter 7. So that your choices here are you're a slave to ones you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you are a slave of obedience or a slave of sin. So what is a slave of obedience? Obedience to what? Obedience to whom? Okay? Now, that should cock you, and, we'll get, and he will answer that question himself. Okay? So we'll go ahead and we'll go through this. But understand that you've got two masters that you can potentially be under. And as I've said before, nobody's neutral. Okay? You're either under one or the other. And those who think that they're indifferent and who think that uh, they don't care about God and, and they're still just fine and all that kind of stuff, they're not. They're either under one kingdom or the other, even though they may be well-behaved. Okay? There are lots of people who are out there who are well-behaved people, but are not members of the kingdom of God. And so what he's saying is you've got a choice. So I'm in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, notice we've changed. Sin, obedience. Sin, righteousness. It's just the way you said that, didn't it? It sounded like sin leads to death and, and no, never mind. Yeah, we have two pairs. Right. Sin and obedience, and now we have sin and righteousness. So we still have sin in both, the first item of both pairs, but we've gotten from obedience now to righteousness. Okay? And, and again, the progression here is important. 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to, to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Well, if sin is lawlessness, 
What then is on the other side in all these pairs? Torah. Okay. See what he's he, he got? Sin, disobedience, impurity, lawlessness, more lawlessness. All of those are Torah terms. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, in order to be lawless, you've got to have a law. You can't be lawless without a law because we, we dealt with that earlier where he was talking about the generations from Adam to Moses, where they were dying because Adam brought sin into the world, but they were not lawless because the law had not been given at Sinai. Okay? So now that the law has been given, it's possible to be lawless. And oh, by the way, all those people were in fact lawless. They just didn't necessarily know it. Am I saying that also it makes sense? Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Whoops, now we're slaves of God. Notice how the, the progression of things to which we are slaves started off being a slave to obedience. Right? Then went to being a slave of righteousness. Now you've become a slave of God. And those are all, if you will, in the right-hand column of those pairs that he has laid out. Am I saying that so it makes sense to you? And on the left-hand side of that column, you have sin and lawlessness. So what he's saying here is, as you go down this list, obedience. Obedience to what? Well, if we look in the first column, you have lawless. Lawless with respect to what? And what I'm asserting here is in both cases, the standard is God's Torah, his teaching and instruction. And you come back up here and pick it up in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The Torah, the word Torah, means teaching and instruction. Okay? The word Torah does not mean law. It means teaching and instruction. So what I'm suggesting to you here is he's laying out, you've got to be on one side or the other. You're going to be a slave on one side or the other. Nobody gets free. Okay? So you can be a slave to lawlessness, which is against the Torah, or you can be a slave of God, which implies then that you are following Torah. Does all that sort of made sense? Everybody see what we're going, what's going on here? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And again, we've talked about that, that the gift of eternal life came to Abraham without the Torah. I firmly believe that Abraham has eternal life. Okay. So does Yeshua, by the way, because he says in the New Testament that he is not the God of the dead but the living, and he talks about Abraham. So from Yeshua's perspective, at the time that he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, Abraham, although physically absent from the body, was alive. Right? How did he get that way? Trusted in God, and it was accounted to him to righteousness. Did he get that way by obeying Torah? No. 
He got that way the same way you get that way. Okay? Anybody clear on this? And, and, and again, what I'm reason I'm sort of hammering this is one of the things that people who have a different understanding of Romans believe is that Paul is laying out a case against Torah. Okay? And I'm sure you've all heard it taught that way. And what I'm telling you is that's not correct. Paul is not laying out a case against Torah. He is laying out a case against sin and lawlessness, which is against a, a case against against Torah, <laughs> to use a double negative there. All right, so now we go on to chapter 7, having done that. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Who is he speaking to? Those who know the law. Jews. Right? I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while she lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. A law of marriage. Not the law. Okay? Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So what, she, what he's saying here is the death of one party annuls chunks of the law with respect to the other party. Okay? Notice he does not say that the law of marriage is annulled. He simply says that it does not apply to her anymore because she no longer has a husband. To another woman over here who has a perfectly good, hale and hearty, healthy husband, the law of marriage still applies to her. The law has not been abrogated, simply no longer applies to her because of the death of her husband. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Messiah so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. Now, notice, folks, what happened with the woman. Her husband died. What then happened? She was free to go to another. Okay? It is not the case that her husband died and all of a sudden nothing applies to her anymore, simply that the relationship with that man was severed, and so she was then free to take up a relationship with another man if she chose to choose, right? So what we've got here is he's saying, oh, Messiah died, therefore by his death you are now free to take up relations with another. You are in the position of a wife. You were married to sin, a slave of sin if you were, will. Now that the Messiah has died, that law no longer applies to you. It no longer binds you, and yet you are now free to cleave to another. In this case, the risen Lord. You see the argument that's being made there? Yeah, you, you first, Chris. In this passage, I think that Paul puts out the version of the gospel. Of course but it's couched in terms of the marriage laws, of, of, of the Hebrew marriage laws. Yes, you're correct. In other words, he just keeps using examples until finally one of them clicks. And again, sort of like the progression of slavery that he had. Slavery to obedience, slavery to righteousness, slavery to God. Oh, all the same thing. Yeah. Eric? My verse reads, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law 
by the body of Christ that he should be married to another. Where it says dead to the law, does that refer to the Pharisees' law or? Doesn't refer to either one. Notice that's why we went to the business with the woman and the law. She has been freed from a relationship. The law has not been abrogated. In other words, the law of marriage is still in general force. It's in force for other women who are still married. And if she marries again, it will again become in force for her. That law has not been annulled. It simply doesn't apply to her because of the death of her husband. Okay? So what he, she, he's saying here, and we'll talk about the law of sin and death later on, which, by the way, just as a little foretaste, is not the Torah. And what he'll say is you have become free from the law of sin and death. Remember we had this, this, this riff where you're slaves to sin, slave to obedience, slave to sin, slave to righteousness, slave to sin, slave to God. What you're free from now is that relationship that you had with sin because that's the parallel thought to the woman becoming free from her husband. In other words, he's not saying that the law of Moses has been abrogated and he's not saying that the law of Moses no longer applies to anybody. What he's saying is this relationship that you had has been severed. Just like she is no longer subject to the law of marriage, which says you can only sleep with one guy at a time, okay? She's free from that law because her husband has died. Now, if she turns around and marries again, that law kicks right back in. She can't say, oh, wait a minute, my first husband died. Yeah, I'm going to marry you, but I'm going to go do some adultery here because I'm free for that law. That's not the case. And you can think of it that her first husband was a louse. And she, but she had to stay married to him because that was, the, you know, that was the contract they set up. But when he dies, she doesn't now necessarily have to remarry a louse. She could find a prince among men. And that's what he's saying. We were married to sin, but now we can be married to God. And so that bad marriage, you can just put it behind you now. Once it's, once it's dead. My verse says dead to the law. Everybody clings to that statement. And yeah. Is that just the law of marriage they're discussing then? Okay. Yes. What, what, what he's saying is you've got two parallel examples. And they both have to do with relationships. And they both have to do with the death of somebody. And yes. And and well, in, in, in the case of God, yes, cause, because God died on the cross. Um, and, and so, in the first paragraph, he is not arguing that the law of marriage no longer applies. It's simply her marriage is dissolved by death, and so now she's free to marry another. And the same thing is going on down here, that you're free from the law, and, and he's going to use the phrase the law of sin and death later on. And that's the law I believe he's talking about, and he'll clarify that later. There are, that's one of the reasons that this all gets so confusing, is because law is used so many different ways. And I, I talked about that the first lesson, is the, our problem here is we're reading this in Greek. The guy that wrote it either wrote it in Hebrew or was thinking in Hebrew when he wrote it. And Hebrew is a very, very precise language with respect to the things of God. That's what it's designed for. It's very good at that. Greek is a very, very good language for dealing with logic and technical things. And so what we're doing is we're, we're using quite a poor tool here 
to understand the things of God, and because it is such a limited tool from that perspective, it takes a little bit of picking through to figure out what's actually going on.